Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson. Michael Brunt's here on Thursday. Gentlemen, anything exciting happened between our last conversation and now? I'll, Brunt, go. You answer, Brunt. I don't want to answer. I'm trying to think. I don't, uh, I don't know that anything did. Well, Brunch, you voted for another Heisman winner. Congratulations. I did. I did. Um, Nebraska, we already know that they weren't playing basketball on Tuesday when we did that podcast. Nothing exciting has happened football-wise. Uh, there could be some more seniors making decisions by the time we finish this podcast. Is that a – are you foreshadowing there? Well, I, I mean – no, because I don't know when we're going to finish this podcast and I don't know when they're going to announce their decisions. So it's just sort of an open-ended thing. You seem like you knew something. I don't know anything. I thought you were going to say, like, we're potting until you make a decision, Diedrich Mills. We're going <laughs> to we're just stay in here. Some sort of podcast strike? Yeah. We're, we're never going to end this pod. <laughs> Therefore, we're never going to give the pod to the people until we know what Diedrich Mills is going to do. I was I was gonna I was hoping that you were gonna say now we're joined by Deontay Williams who is gonna like release <laughs> his decision live on the podcast. He would be a pretty good guest. If, Except, if we're making a list of guys that would say something that would elicit response, Deontay Williams would be on that list. Except our luck, we it would be a nice uh, get, and then he would build it up and then announce that he's uh, going to the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> people be like screw you guys uh yeah yeah that could be a thing that could that could be a thing uh but no I, I i don't know of any specific decisions that are coming um but of course those guys have to at some point make that decision and so we will uh we'll certainly have that reaction but no we're in the we're in the kind of slow time period nebraska hasn't started school yet so therefore they haven't started winter conditioning so therefore, the freshmen, the early enrollees aren't quite there yet. Uh, we're just in this weird little limbo period. And so I was curious if you guys had anything exciting, but it appears you do not. But no. What, what's your guys' level of excitement for the NFL playoff? Somebody asked me this the other day. And uh, I, I just – it feels like to me it, it's almost kind of like the NBA playoffs a little bit where I, I just don't I, – I find it difficult to care about the first round. Uh, I disagree, but I, I'm a much more like into the NFL than I think either of you are at this point. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to be paying attention, but I'm also a degenerate. And so I'll have money sprinkled in too many different games and then I'll have to owe money at the end of the weekend. That's just how that works. But I, I, I'm in, I'm definitely interested, but for me, the, the big weekend is next weekend, like the divisional round. Mm -hmm. When you get those, it's normally the top two teams from each conference and you, you, have some really good games you get four games two each day and i usually you know you're you're getting some great matchups there so i'm i'm normally more fired up for the uh the divisional weekend than i am for the wild card weekend but i there's some games that i want to see i mean titans ravens i think could be pretty good bills colts right off the bat has potential to be pretty good the bills are the darling team right now and i think that's a i think that's a scary place to be when you also have to play that first weekend and Phil Rivers is on the other side. And nobody wants to see Phil Rivers in the second round because he's not good anymore. And you just know that he's ready to, to just ruin it for people. It's hard, too, I, it's hard, too, to hop on the Josh Allen bandwagon after 
you know, obviously he's done well as a professional, but when you see a guy throw five picks in a game, you, you can't walk that back. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. I've already put it away. The Bills are just too much fun. Like, they're a really, really fun offensive team right now. Plus, I'm, I'm like, the biggest Stephon Diggs fanboy possible at this point. So, I, I just would like to see them make a run. So, I, I'm in on the Bills. I like the Bills, too. I like the Bills. I, it must be a thing where we are really drawn to teams that are terrible in Super Bowls. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that could be. Uh, it, it might just be we just have this, uh, you know, it's a, it's a light or a flame and we're a moth and we're just, <laughs> you know, we're, we're drawn in. But I, I would love to see the Bills get off the, the schneid and they've got a fun team, so I hope they make a run. That, that, uh, that makes me want to go watch the uh, Norm McDonald tell the moth joke on. Uh, oh, it's so good, isn't it? Yeah, people need to go YouTube that, spend five minutes with that, it'll, it'll perk up their day. You got to be careful. I could turn this into a Norm McDonald podcast because I've gone down that YouTube rabbit hole so many times. There's so many good Norm McDonald moments. I mean, and the one that everybody knows is the ESPYs, but it's uh, it's good stuff. So if you if you've got time to waste online, I, I would recommend Norm McDonald. I was going to say if you think Schaefer's a Stephon Diggs fanboy, let's start talking Norm McDonald. <laughs> I'm like the one guy on the planet who probably saw every episode of the show Norm. It was on ABC. Uh, I've seen like all of the terrible movies. I, I don't know why I'm like I'm just drawn to him. His sense of humor is exactly mine. Like it's it's a, it's just great. Uh, it's just where I go. Have we figured out yet if you know how he likes to watch uh, golf tournaments and uh, yeah. <laughs> live tweet them? Um, I I thought it was a comedic bit for a while, and it still might be an ongoing one, but maybe he just likes doing it. I haven't figured that out exactly, and that's sort of why he's an appealing guy to me, because you never quite know where his brain is. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think it's a bit. I think he just likes to live-tweet sports. He'll do the NFL (laughs) playoffs. Um, The the best is that, like, he's always five times more excited for something than anyone else. And it could be like a pretty simple thing. Like you're getting first down in all caps with seven exclamation points and it's the second quarter in a 10 point game, you know? So it's like a, it could just be a really extended bit, but I think he just, he really likes sports and he likes to tweet about them. The weirdest thing is that he does it and then he deletes all of them. Like they won't exist after two days. They'll just all be gone. Well, that's some good norm talk. Should we, should we transition to things that aren't Norm McDonald? Yeah. Although I do like him, I think we should. Well, you know what Norm McDonald will be tweeting about next week? And that's the national championship game. Ohio State plays Alabama. I had a, almost a, an entirely bad miss there. I almost had an entirely wrong team. But Ohio State plays Alabama, and I'm curious. We didn't get into these games on Tuesday. How much of the college football playoff did either one of you watch last Saturday? Uh, I watched, I watched more than I usually do. And was it the the Alabama game, or was it more Ohio State-Clemson? Um, more Ohio State-Clemson. That was the one I was more intrigued by. I, I watched pretty much that entire game, actually, and uh, – it had been a while since I'd sat down and kind of watched a, a playoff game start to finish, but I, I don't know. It'll be an interesting matchup with, uh, with Alabama. I, the, the COVID stuff at Ohio state's going to be, 
interesting to see who's there and who's not, I guess. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, the, the big question is, are you guys expecting it to be a game? I think it will be. I, I think Ohio State found themselves a little bit uh, during the break. And, I mean, that was – the team that played against Clemson is sort of what I expected them to be throughout the year, and they weren't. They were kind of a disappointment. I know it was such a small sample size since they played like six games, but they didn't really have a good rhythm, I felt, and I thought their defense was pretty suspect. And I still do wonder how they're going to cover some of Alabama's uh, perimeter guys – um, but I think they'll score, and uh, I don't know that I'm going to pick them, but I, I, I expect it's going to be a game late. I'd be surprised if it isn't. I honestly didn't think Ohio State was going to hang with Clemson uh, based on the way that they had played. I mean, they, they didn't look very good against Northwestern the week before in that conference championship game, or not the week before, but you know, a couple weeks before in the conference championship game. And then, as Brian said, they kind of been – They've been good, but they hadn't gone to that level at any point during the 2020 season. And frankly, they hadn't been at that level for a little while. If you look at the the 2019 season, the way it ended for them with, with Penn State and when Justin Fields kind of tweaked his knee a little bit and they, they just kind of went through um, the rest of that year. They, they almost lost to Wisconsin in the conference championship game. They had to pull that one out. And then they, they had that game against Clemson where they should have won. I mean, Ohio State had that game wrapped up and they couldn't put it away. They allowed Clemson to hang around and then they ultimately lost uh, with the opportunity to, to go for the, the score there and the interception from Fields. And so we hadn't seen them just dominate a team like that in quite a while, like over a calendar year. And so for them to do it to Clemson, I am discounting the Nebraska game because even then they didn't look as dominant as they did at times against Clemson. And it's a different sort of thing when you're talking about a top five team like Clemson was. I, I was really impressed by it. I didn't think they had that in them. And, and I don't, it changes how I sort of feel about this game where I kind of felt like Alabama was going to, no matter whether they got Clemson or Ohio state, I felt like Alabama was pretty far ahead of, of whoever they were going to play and COVID issues aside. Now I kind of feel like it could be a closer matchup. Do you guys think that this, in order for Ohio State to have a chance, is it more about their offense kind of continuing that resurgence, I guess, that they showed against Clemson? Or is it more about the defense? Because I kind of tend to think it's more about, you know, I, I thought Ohio State's defense played pretty well in that game, all things considered. And I think they're going to have their hands even more full this week um, than what they had. So to me, it's more about whether or not Ohio State's defense can kind of you know, keep, keep the offense in the game. Yeah. I mean, Ohio state's best corner is what Sean Wade. And uh, he got abused in that Clemson game, even though his team won. I mean, he get, there, there's some, there's some plays where the, who's the, who's the Clemson receiver talented guy. He, he spun him around on a few plays. Um, and I think, so I just don't know if Ohio state's DBs are going to hold up in this game. Um, they, they had much better defensive backs a year ago. They had a much, they had a much more complete team a year ago. And we were actually cheated out of uh, what would have been probably an unbelievable championship last year. 
uh, had Ohio State beat Clemson. This one will still be good, but um, I think it's sort of like the JV version of what we might have saw last year. I, I think I'd pick Alabama because of your concerns that you're bringing up about Ohio State's defense, but I, I do think it'll be like a touchdown game. Yeah, I, I kind of go the other way. So I, I sort of feel like Ohio State's offense has to continue to do what they were doing in that Clemson game where they were playing at a quick tempo. They had Clemson all out of sorts. They hit big throws. Justin Fields showed that he could go deep. Trey Sermon carried off a 31-carry game against Clemson. And I, I think the difference for Ohio State in that game is that they were able to really run the ball. And if you look at the other games this year, it wasn't until Michigan State that Trey Sermon – had a hundred yard game. Then he had a 300 yard game against Northwestern. And then I think another 170 yards against Clemson. And so I think Ohio state's offense is going to have to prove that they can run the ball. Fields is going to have to hit those deep throws. I do think that we're at the point and this sounds weird, but we're at the point where you have to outscore Alabama. And so I, I think in order for Ohio state to win this game, they have to be in the thirties and the high thirties at that. And then of course the defense does have to make a play or two as well to slow down what is a really good Alabama offense. I mean, between the, their top four offensive players, I mean, you have two Heisman finalists, Najee Harris, and then Jalen Waddell, who's really good and is going to be healthy. And so that's just a, that's going to be a challenge. And so they're going to put up points. I mean, even if Ohio state's defense plays pretty well, they could still easily give up 34 points in that game. Cause that's just where we're at with football anymore. There's just so many weapons to go around and, and these teams know how to, to, to score and score quickly. And so I think Ohio State's offense has to, to keep them in that game. The interesting thing to me also is how engaged America actually is in this game. Because um, we were sort of talking about this a couple of weeks ago and the sort of how the college football playoff has gotten stale somewhat. And I think it – I watched the games on January 1st, but um, if it – it felt like what we were talking about where it, it did feel stale to me watching that they were, they weren't, you know, Alabama Clemson wasn't riveting. Like we maybe expected it would be where it was down to the wire. Uh, Notre Dame, Alabama. I could have used, I could have put that game on us as background on a sleep machine. That was like, uh, you know, a Saturday afternoon of golf in the background with, with Jim Nance lightly talking to you as you take a little nap. That's how that game felt to me. So, You've got the two teams that have the most high-profile players and most high-profile programs in college football. Is it going to draw an audience? Ohio State usually does. They're, they're a big TV number, but I'm curious if there's uh, if the numbers are going to continue to go down and who's watching this. I hope they put that in the promo. College football playoff is exciting as the John Deere Classic. <laughs> well, I mean – I don't know if Jim Nance is calling the John Deere Classic. Alabama, Bro. Al that Alabama Notre Dame game, like I could have, it was exactly how I could have said it was going to go beforehand. You never felt like uh, Notre Dame was a threat. Um, and even though it had a couple famous helmets on it, I was just like, I'm really not that interested in this game. And I don't, I don't know. That could be just me, but. Um, I'm getting some feedback. It feels like that's out there that there's a lot of people who are, are sort of just not as into the playoffs and stuff as, as they have been in the past. So I, it's a problem, I think, for college football. I think it's become really top heavy and, um, and some people are kind of tired of it. 
Well, and, and as people pointed out throughout the weekend, I mean, so many of these semifinal games have just been blowouts. They've yep. been snoopers, so you don't have a whole lot of drama. I mean, I was completely into it last year for Ohio State and Clemson because you had two incredibly good teams and that game was really good and it played out that way. Um, but as has been the case, Oklahoma has been blown out multiple times. Notre Dame's now been blown out twice. People, until you prove that you can hang in that game, they're just not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And the gap between where those first three programs are, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then seemingly whoever the fourth program is, is, is pretty large. And it's why I get so annoyed when the conversation is, well, do we think Cincinnati can give them a game? Well, who is? No one's yeah. giving that fourth place game, you know, a whole lot of – or fourth place team – uh, had given them a game a whole lot of times. I mean, Alabama did it to Clemson. That was one upset. Ohio State did it to Alabama. But beyond those teams, we just haven't seen it happen from anybody else. And so it's a uh, – it, it's tough. It's tough to talk yourself into it. And then you made a point – it might have been a month ago. It might have been three weeks ago that has kind of stuck with me. And, and it does really feel like all of the conversation that gets built into who's the fourth team in the college football playoff <laughs> – overshadows the rest of everything else and so then it's just kind of like I didn't find myself all that interested in watching Iowa State Oregon or um, some of these other matchups and, and it could just be because it's a weird year but we just don't think about and talk about college football the same way we did even 10 years ago and that's just wild to me in some ways yeah I, I think 10 15 20 years ago those bowl games that were like on December 27th 28th I, I don't know. People kind of enjoyed it. It was, it was a part of the uh, lead up and uh, we didn't diminish them as much. And, and, and now we, I, I feel like we have because every week it is like you're saying it, the conversation is just about um, that topic, like who's number four or basically two or three other programs. And at a certain point, there's fatigue for people with that. And uh, I, I really feel like it's set in. I've felt it for the last couple of years, but I think it's really coming to roost right now. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I think it might be, um, you know, the, the 18 playoff maybe brings some, some intrigue because it, it allows some others to the dance party. Uh, but um, I hope they stop it at eight when they get there because I don't want it to go beyond that. I think probably the most intrigue I had in a non non college football playoff bowl game was just the the Duke's Mayo Bowl to see if Paul Christ was going to get dunked. That that was basically where my interest started and stopped. Yeah, so and that was fair. Brunts, Brunts has no interest in the uh, the NFL playoffs. He has no interest <laughs> in the college football bowl setup unless there's Mayo involved. It was like it was like at three o'clock on a weekday, so it was like it was perfect. It had a little bit of drama, and uh, ultimately it was just a big tease because there was just water in the bucket. <laughs> Do you think Paul Chris probably wouldn't have minded a little mayo getting dumped on him, I'm guessing? I thought – I was thinking about it, and it would have been like the perfect like turncoat thing for like a pissed-off intern to do because obviously the bowl game had built up the fact that like, oh, is he going to get dunked with mayo? And then what if like – a uh, a disgruntled employee like actually switched out the buckets and put a bucket full of mayo in there. <laughs> yeah. 
And then he tells him like, haha, I'm going to be, go be a grad assistant at this school. Yeah. He's going somewhere else yeah. as he dunks it on him. Get big reveal. It was me. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of a bummer. That didn't happen. The best bowl game. And I didn't even watch it was what the coastal Carolina game. Right. I mean, that was the, the, the best game where most drama. Uh, it could have been, I, I guess I don't even know. I can't even tell you who they played. That's how little I paid attention to it. The one I watched the most that wasn't a college football playoff game was Cincinnati, Georgia. And it just relayed to me how poor time management skills are for every college football coach in the country. Like there's so few coaches that actually do a good job at the end of games. It just blows my mind. Who would you say is the best at that? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I mean, I haven't covered a good coach at it between Scott Frost, Mike Riley, and Bo Pelini. I haven't watched a lot of Big Ten coaches that seem to be particularly adept at it. Uh, I think NFL teams seem to be better in that regard, but some are still atrocious. Andy Reid is the poster child of terrible clock management. Uh, I, I don't know who's a really good college coach at it. We don't have to see the best programs have to do it a whole lot um, because usually they're up by enough. I, I'm not sure. Like, is, do you have an example? Like, is there a Mountain West coach that you've really glommed onto in recent years? No, I, I, I was legitimately asking because I, I couldn't think of somebody who was like, Oh, that that's a really great in-game manager of the time. Yeah. I, Brian, is there anybody that you can think of? Um. No, uh, I don't know if I'd be right because I, I don't watch his games weekly. Like, if you wanted an NFL guy who I feel like is uh, over, covers all the pieces he can possibly cover, it's Sean McVay um, with the Rams. Like, I feel like he's a guy who has a pulse on everything. Rams um, but the Titans is that way, too. Yeah. Um, Belichick has done some weird things of late. I used to think he was – ahead of the curve in understanding like remember the time when he went for a fourth and two on his own 28 against yeah. Peyton Manning and P he got knocked by it by people and I was in his corner I was like Peyton Manning in that game if you were watching it was going to go 70 yards yeah and he knew that he needed a first down right then and there and it didn't work out but he he was one of those guys who was a little bit ahead of the curve on like no the data is in my favor maybe to go for this fourth and one on my own 32 yard line I do appreciate that that has been happening more in football uh where teams are uh going for it on fourth and inches in their own territory people used to never do that and basically it was doing a favor to the defense you know what I mean it was like yeah. here we're gonna take you off the hook even though we just gotta have our 220 pound quarterback fall forward uh we're not gonna do that we're gonna give it back to you and so I'm glad that that is changing. Um, but I do agree that there's still a lot of misusage of just timeouts down the stretch of games. It's, it, and it, it's hard to get into specific examples because you almost have to have the game in front of you to like, you know, show it. Right. No, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. I think you were absolutely correct. It's disappointing. We can't even name a college football coach that we think is good at it though. It's kind of amazing. I hope that somebody is listening to this still and just Can make a list and just screaming a name right now. <laughs>
there, there's some guys who do. Rob, you cowards! <laughs> I get the thing I get most mad about, and I hope I can explain it right, is when there's about three and a half minutes left in a game and a defense is behind and they need to get the ball back and they've got all three timeouts and the other team gets like eight or nine yards on a run on first down. And so it's like second and very short and the defense calls a timeout, um, which, okay, we get it stopping the clock, but basically they're, they're saying here, we're going to throw one of our timeouts out of our pocket and now the odds are strongly in the, the opponent's favor that they're going to get that second and two or whatever, pick up a first down and render the usage of that timeout completely useless. Um, there's certain part, things like that, that really irk me. Like when people call timeouts and bad down and distance situations late when they should maybe save it for the next set of downs. If it's, if they've got enough time to do that. I think that's fair. Are you a big defensive timeout guy? Well, in those situations where you're like, you know, when you got, you know, you're going to have to use them there. But I feel like on occasion teams will like, I know I've watched a Vikings game before where the, Vi- they've been on both sides of this, but the Vikings were very bad at timeouts <laughs> for what it's worth. But there was a game actually, which was good. I can't remember it where the Vikings got like nine yards on first down and the other team used a timeout. And I was like, thank you. You know, like, because now it's second and one, you know, you're probably going to pick up a first down and now they've only got two timeouts for the next set of downs. Um, it's a, it's, I don't know. It, I think every coach, if they're not good at it, should have somebody on staff as much money goes around with these things that is just like a, a nerd with that stuff who, who uh, knows exactly how they want to play it and has gone through all these scenarios. I think it'd be very useful. I, I've never understood why people, so you, you know, you don't have enough timeouts to cover every down in a drive. So like, let's say you have to, you, you need to stop the clock. You can only stop it twice out of the three possible downs. Why wouldn't you save one for after third down when every team always runs the clock out and then takes the timeout, but you save yourself a couple seconds. I know it's not much. And then as we saw with Cincinnati, especially in college, these teams don't run the clock all the way down to one before they snap it. They'll get to seven and then they get anxious and they go like, so you can, if you use the timeouts early, you're actually making it easier for them to just bleed the clock more when they do get into that third down. And so I've always wondered why they don't just wait until you actually have the ability to force the punt that you're calling the timeout there. I guess the only reason would be, just maybe maybe especially in the NFL where the quarterbacks are so good that teams are willing to sometimes on third and short risk throwing it you say well maybe we'll get an incompletion there uh but I get what you, I get what you're saying yeah. um the other thing my brother was bringing it up he, he this drives him nuts um Notre Dame scored a touchdown with like a couple minutes left against Alabama and it made it 31 to 13 and they weren't going to win. I mean, anyone with they comments, over too. Yeah. I mean, I know, and I get it. Um, it's over, but why would you not at least just statistically play the game? Like you're giving yourself every last percentage point to have a chance. And I, so I'd never get when coaches do that. Yeah. Scott Frost did that against Wisconsin in his first year. And I thought it was odd too. Like they, they didn't have a chance necessarily to come all the way back, but you make it a two score game instead of leaving it as a three score game. 
Yeah. And Notre Dame almost recovered the onside kick too. Not that they would, you know, a lot of, they would have had to have a billion right. things go. Right. But th- then had they actually recovered it, you'd be like, man, it'd be nice if you're within two scores now, wouldn't it? But it's why Nebraska kept following Iowa two years ago and hitting threes and somehow pulled off that improbable comeback. Like it doesn't make sense. It's not likely to happen, but you give yourself the chance versus not giving yourself any chance. Yep. Bruns, do you have anything else you want to add or should we just get out of here? Let's just get out of here. I was Googling good college football clock management and there's a, that's a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. (laughs) Well, we'll see if Bruns comes up with any results. We're going to come back and talk to you about defensive back play at Nebraska next here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Rather than looking at multiple programs to help your child in different subjects, one subscription gets you everything with IXL Learning, and all the kids in your home work off one from pre-K to 12th grade. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com IXLAV. Visit IXL.com IXLAV to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. All right, Bruns, do you have a name for us? No, uh, it's funny because basically when you Google that, it's you should throw in the word sucks because that's all you're going to get. It's like <laughs> Middle Tennessee State sucks at clock management. Army sucks at clock, clock management. So I got, I got nothing. You would think Army would be better at timing and strategy. You would think so. Uh, that's apparently not the case. Remember, wasn't Frank Solich up for the Army job at one point in time and they hired, like, Bobby Ross instead? He was up for it. I, I'm pretty sure of that. I don't remember if you if you wanted it or not, but I, I think that's correct. Yeah. I don't know why I just thought of that, but I did. That's probably the first Bobby Ross reference on this podcast. We can make more if you want to talk about the Chargers in the 1990s. He coached the Georgia Tech team that beat the Huskers in the Citrus Bowl, too. There you go. Bobby Ross everywhere. National champs. See, that was a that was probably one of the last times we had somebody that wasn't you know like uh, predictable. That was a national. That was part of a national championship. Fair. Fair. Brunch, do you have any more Bobby Ross references you want to drop in? Not really. Uh, I was hoping you were going to pivot from Bobby Ross somehow to Nebraska defensive backs, and I was eager to see how you are going to do that. <laughs> I don't have one. 
Uh, I got I got nothing there. But Nebraska's defensive backs are gonna have to be good for the Huskers next year. This uh, defense has several guys returning, but we don't know quite yet what's gonna happen at safety. So that makes this conversation hard and somewhat curious that we chose to start with this position versus other ones. But Nebraska, with the return of Cam Taylor Britt, has to feel a little bit better about their secondary for 2021. Yeah, I mean, because of what you said, not knowing uh, what the what's going to happen with the safeties after Boodle announced that he was going pro, um, I was worried they're going to have to do a complete remodel job back there. And uh, if there's one guy you want to return to at least uh, give you a starting point, uh, Cam Taylor Britt is definitely the answer. He's the most versatile guy. I think he's Nebraska's. Him and JoJo Doman to me are Nebraska's best defenders returning. And the thing about both those players is they can do a little bit of everything. And, and we've seen Cam Taylor Britt, he can play safety if they had to use him there in a pinch. But I think we really saw that he thrived this year when he could finally fully focus on cornerback and uh, he could be a shutdown guy and he could take a guy like David Bell. And even though David Bell had that big catch, uh, he mostly frustrated him throughout that day, did the same thing with Jahan Dotson. And so that's that's a really uh, warm feeling you get as, a, am sure, a defensive coordinator when you got a guy who, okay, he can kind of blank out this side of the field for me. And I think Cam Taylor Britt might be that type of guy in 2021. He's taken the type of steps to be that player. From a leadership perspective, too, I mean, I it's kind of a tired thing to talk about, but I mean, he seems like one of the guys on that roster that everybody just kind of gravitates towards. And, you know, I, I think this team needs more of that. And I, I think the fact that you would have a guy that's arguably your best player on the roster. I mean, I, I think you could make a case there. I don't know how much of a strong one it would be, but you know, to, to have that guy be kind of the, the face and the kind of the pace setter, so to speak, for the team, I think that's important. And, you know, it, it does make your kind of reconfiguration of that secondary more easy, knowing that you have, you know, a guy that can really lock things down or, or match up with, you know, some of the, be the, the best in the Big Ten that you're going to see and really limit them. I mean, next year, Nebraska is going to be really challenged in the passing a game with, with some of their, their matchups, certainly the Oklahoma game uh, being among them. So uh, getting him is huge. And I think, you know, for, for Cam Taylor Britt too, it's, it's an opportunity to show that you're one of the best in the big 10 and, and that you're worthy of that draft talk. So it's kind of, you know, beneficial all around, but I, it, it was, you know, when you're kind of discussing what, who's the most important decisions that, that, that were out there in the off season. I mean, that, that's a, I think an expected decision that he was going to come back, but it's a big one. Give me a guy you guys are looking forward to seeing next year in the secondary can't double up. So I'm going to give Brunt's first draft pick. Uh, Miles Farmer. I, I think. Uh, BC's he, mad. What, what's that? BC's mad. That was yeah. his guy. Yeah, I know. It's, he was playing good football when he got hurt and I'm eager to see kind of what his situation is because, you know, he, he had a pretty major ankle injury. Uh, you don't know what his status is going to be uh, for, for the spring and, 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 you know, beyond. So, you know, the fact that he was getting snaps, even with 
Dismuke and Williams in there. Um, I, I think shows you what, what the coaches think of him. And I, I mean, he's the future at that position. So uh, I, I want to see if he's able to, to come back strong and, and potentially uh, make a leap. Cause I, I mean, we, we've kind of done the hype train thing with him for a while and uh, you know, it seemed like he was kind of getting ready to take off. And then that you had the, uh, the turf at Purdue say otherwise. That's okay. I can go with another Georgia guy, uh, Quinton Newsom. I, I feel like uh, he is probably the favorite right now, especially because he's available um, to be uh, the guy opposite Cam Taylor Britt at cornerback. Now Braxton Clark may have something to say about that. And I'll not say any more about Braxton if he wants to be used by somebody else, but Quinton, um, I felt like, Travis Fisher made the right eval on him as a cornerback because when you watch him, it, it does look so natural and he he's impressive. He's a guy who so far early in his career when he's been called on for snaps, I can't say that I've noticed a player to well, there actually I can think of one or two plays where he's had a rough go, but it's a pretty small list of things where you're like, oh, he got toasted there or something. And so he's, he's held up well when he's been asked to play and he's been in, in some key moments sort of quietly, like even the end of the Penn state game uh, when Penn state was driving cam Taylor Britt was out there and there was a long pass and cam knocked it away. And I saw cam motion to the sideline, like I need a breath. And uh, they threw Quinton right in there, you know, with the game on the line. And I I watched Quinton the next play or two and, uh, you know, stuck with this guy like glue. I mean, I, I just think he's a guy who can be really sound there and not make Nebraska take a major step back, even with the loss of Boodle. I have heard that name from some people that they are really excited about Quentin Newsom and sort of him stepping into that role that might be um, vacated by DiCaprio Boodle, but could also be filled by Braxton Clark. And that's the guy that I'll talk about a little bit here. I'm, I've been driving the Braxton Clark, uh, bus if you will and for the last year or so because I, I think they like he brings something different than than those other guys he's bigger he's longer uh he can be very physical I think they liked how he played against Purdue you know two years ago uh when he had that opportunity in 2019 to to start and he came up with that interception uh I know that other defensive backs were saying last year to, to watch out for Braxton Clark that he might be kind of a breakout guy and he had that shoulder injury, so that sets him back a little bit. But it does leave him with, I think, three corners that they like. And then a guy that either of us or, you know, any of us could have picked was was Lynham, and, and they like him too. He hasn't played as much, and he's kind of the, the lone remaining Florida defensive back at this point. But he, uh, at least from that 2020 crop, you know, I, I think they like that that cornerback group. And, and I think Braxton Clark is going to be involved. And, and you might see – some rotation between those two and, and they just leave Cam Taylor Britt uh, on his own and they'll see how it plays out. But I, I would not write off Braxton Clark by any means. And I'm kind of curious if they, if they felt comfortable enough with Lynham and, and some incoming corners, if Clark couldn't end up moving to safety where I think people thought he was going to play initially, but they were very enamored with his size and, and he looked fine playing corner too. So as much as we talked about how big of a loss Cam Taylor Britt would have been, and he would have been, I still think Nebraska was in position where they had some defensive backs that they're excited about that could have stepped into those roles. They wouldn't have been as good, and I think the upside of Cam Taylor Britt in 2021 is pretty great. 
But I do think they have some guys and Newsom and Clark, especially that they're ready to see what they can do in a, in a larger role. I think they really liked Lynham uh, his yeah. first year. He gained like 25 pounds like in a month uh, in the weight room. And he's 6'2". He's listed at 180 right now. So um, I don't know where he's at. But he's 6'2". Quinton Newsom's 6'2". And they're both really long. Um, and so, you know, they've got really good size there, actually, because you mentioned Braxton, who stands 6'4", legit 6'4". And then those guys with their length, that's, that's going to help them. Um, I was going to ask, and we kind of got down this path with Lineham a bit, who your, like, wild card would be. Cause, and you could name – um, any young guy it could be a guy who's incoming from the recent recruiting class as well. Do you have like a wild card you think could factor in? Well, uh, uh Bruns, go ahead. I, mine's Nadab Joseph. Um, mm, yeah. I mean, I you almost kind of forget he's there a little bit, but you know, he's the top top three JUCO guy in the country. He played a ton on special teams this year. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see what kind of noise he makes with a little bit more of a traditional off season with spring ball, um, but with summer conditioning and all that other stuff, because, you know, as much as, you know, we talk about the measurables of other guys, I mean, this is a six to 190 pound cornerback um, that, that hasn't played a ton of football recently uh, before coming to Nebraska um, has had some injury issues, but uh, a, a very athletic guy that was coveted by, a ton of sec programs and you know he's he's a guy that with some time might have something to say too about that, that open spot as well yeah i'm glad you brought him up do you have one uh schaefer it could be yeah. a guy who's here or incoming i i have two um and i'll let you if, if do you have another you want to say besides oh go uh, go ahead say your two i'll come up with someone okay well so i i I'm between these two guys. I mean, you have one guy that's already there and, and Isaac Gifford, I think has impressed. And he's a guy that, that is going to be involved in a backup role at safety uh, as early as next season. And is a guy that they, they want to put on scholarship. Like it, it, it looks like, you know, oh, he's a walk on, we'll see what happens, that kind of thing. But they also, they went out of their way to make sure that he ended up with this program. And I think they like what they've seen from him so far. Uh, so he's certainly a guy that I think qualifies as a wild card. And then my favorite incoming defensive back in this class, and I know it's Brian's as well, is, is uh, Buford. And Marquise, or, or Marcus Buford is a, a good player, and he's a guy that's going to be a good athlete. And I don't know if it's going to happen right away in 2021, but he's going to be here early. He's going to go through spring ball. I think he's going to give himself an opportunity. And we know Travis Fisher isn't afraid of playing young guys when they prove that they're ready to go. I wouldn't be surprised if Buford's one of those guys. Yeah, you took my guy with Gifford because uh, I think they really liked him this year. And you could tell by he was getting uh, sprinkled in for snaps on occasion. Um, beyond that, though, uh, Kobe Brett's uh, coming in really interests me. Uh, and also where his career will take him. As you sort of think about guys who have frames – to be versatile and could move around and maybe be hybrid type players. I wonder if Kobe Bretts could be that in time, um, which is interesting. Uh, Javen Wright, of course, is, I think I consider him more of an outside linebacker at this point, but we'll see where they settle that in 2021. Uh, I kind of hope that's the plan uh, with him. Um, so 
Noah Polagates, though, is a guy we haven't mentioned. And uh, this is a big year for him. You know, he, he was involved heavily on special teams, uh, really not that much on defense, but for understandable reasons with the veterans in front of him. But now if those guys clear out of the way, uh, NPG has to see it as a time for him to, uh, to be part of it now, you know, and he was a highly valued recruit when they got him. Uh, he seems to have overcome his injuries and is doing things the right way or has been last year. Uh, so he's a guy who, uh, when you talk about big 2021s, make your move time, Noah Pulley Gates would probably be in my top five list on this entire roster. That's impressive. That's uh, that he's got to he's got to do it. But I, I, there's a reason they went out and got him. I know that everyone they get the fatigue where you don't hear the name right away, and then you think, oh no, is he ever going to do anything? And got to remember, he's only been here for two years. It'll be his third season. And of those two years, he was injured for most of the first. So uh, we'll see, uh, as Brian kind of said with that. Anything else you guys want to add on defensive back before we close this out? No. Uh, <laughs> no. That sounds like you have a lot to add. I will sit here and listen patiently. No, I, 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 think, I think we covered most of the, most of the ground on that. Um, so yeah, we'll see what we'll see what the safeties do here, and I expect we're going to hear in the within the next week. They pretty much have to by mid January, so uh, we'll know on Dismuke and Deontay. And I, I as I've said all along, I think it's a big deal if one of them comes back, just to kind of give you that uh, sturdiness with your depth. Um, so uh, the fact that guys haven't announced yet makes me think some guys are really uh, kind of laboring with the decision, because otherwise, wouldn't you just knock it out and? Uh, the end of December or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of want to. I mean, if you're going to go, you kind of want to get rolling on the, uh, the prep, you know. So well, if you're Nebraska, you want these guys to make a decision because you have to go into the transfer portal to try to get guys too. Right. Right. So it works both ways there. All right. No closing thoughts, I guess. There. So we're. Uh, we're just going to tell you to check out Husker 24 seven. We got stuff going up daily, even though it's slow right now, I'm going to try to work between the transfer portal, 2021 high school recruiting, 2022 is underway. Some offers out. Of course, we have great stuff from our network as well. BC following in with some good features on these 2021 early enrollees and Brunts of course has basketball coverage, baseball coverage. He's thrown in a little volleyball coverage. He does football coverage. Brunts does everything. He wears many hats. I miss anything there? No, uh, there'll be no uh, Francisco Lindor talk on the site, I hope, because uh, he's going to the Mets. Sure looks like he's going to the Mets, and it sure looks like my day is uh, going to be ruined already. So that's fun. And uh, I will let you guys move on with your life while I wallow in self-pity over here. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.